Also, my friends, I, I want to talk to you about the Cash App because let's be honest, um, you need money and I need money. More importantly, you need to make money as I need to make money. And the Cash App right now, I'm being dead serious with you, is allowing you to invest in the stock market. Can anybody think about <laughs> investing in the stock market, especially I'm talking to the people who make money like me. You got little pennies or something that you're rubbing together. You might have two, three dollars that you can do something. I remember my uncle coming to me and asking me, did I want to invest in stocks? He's like, yeah, I, I want to invest in stocks. That's what I told him. He's like, well, how much money you got? I'm like 10 bucks. He's like, that, that, that's not enough to do anything in stocks. <laughs> it wasn't then, but now 10 bucks can get me somewhere, baby, because of the cash app. So let me tell you why I'm asking you to join me on the Cash App. Because if you click my link, which is downstairs in the show notes, what happens is I get $5 and you get $5. And you can take that $5 and at $1 per stock, get you five stocks in the stock market that can do something for you. You know what I'm saying? So if you're not a member of the Cash App, go on ahead. Click my link right downstairs in the show notes. Get your five bucks and then tell you what you do. OK, because I'm, I'm not even going to tell you to go and, and come and send people back to me. You can if you want, if you want to help me and make sure that that this show as I take a sniff, you know, because, you know, I mean, if you want to help me out, then, you know, I'm about that life, dog. But um, if not, this is what you can do after you click my link and get your five bucks then you can share the link with your friends and you can get another five bucks. And now when your uncle comes to you and be like, hey, man, I got that ten dollars and I'm going to invest in the stock market. You you can uh, you, you can be about that life. You know what I'm saying? So click my link downstairs for the cash app. Also, in the links downstairs in the show notes, I do a little bit of writing, y'all. Yeah, I podcast, I vlog, and now I write. So click down for my voice, my vocal.media to hear me, or more importantly, to read me. Mm. Or should I say to read what I write? That's probably a lot better. But anyway, help a brother out, man. It's, it's how I, again, can do what I do on the internet. So... Click my links downstairs for the cash app. Get me that five bucks. You get your five bucks and you take yours and go get you some more money. We go and invest in the stock market. We become rich. And then also, I'm not asking you for any more money. I'm just asking you to click on my vocal.media link down yonder. You know you want to keep up what I've got to say. You know you want to read more from EDB. So go ahead and do it. Hear some stories or mostly read them. You don't hear them. now. It took me long enough to stop telling you to go watch my stuff on the podcast. Now when I'm telling you to go read it, I'm going to tell you to hear it. Lord have mercy. Y'all can tell that I need some help. So people of the internet, I want want to go ahead and um, tell you as we're sitting here now, um, Tuesday, January 28th. Uh, I am right now preparing, as I keep saying, I'm going to tell you right now, and right now I'm doing, it's, it's a lot of rights and a lot of nows going on, right? Okay, cool. Uh, I'm thinking about my February goals. 
And if, if you don't really, or if I haven't shared it, let me go ahead and, and briefly share this with you. I'll, I'll get more into detail down the road. But um, my, uh, my goals for this year is to take them one month at a time, breaking it even down to one week at a time, and then even down to one day at a time. You see what I'm saying? And so uh, I decided that I'm going to read more books. And uh, the... My, my, my mission statement, let me just go ahead and throw it out there for you, is to this year read 11 books. With the Bible, that would be 12. And so um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that further down the road about why I'm reading books and all of the good stuff. I mean, actually, we don't have to talk about it. It's not much to talk about. I just need to read a goddamn book. I mean, that's just all there, that's all there is to it. I need to read a book. I need to be smart. You know, that's it. Point blank. Just need to read a book. Okay. I need, I need, I need to be, I need to be smart like Josh Selovich. Yep. I said that. I sure said that. So anyway, um, my first book, um, which, uh, I really don't want to say anything because I want you to hear the podcast, but it's, uh, I call him professor Daniel, professor Dan, if you will, he's on the pod. And he's going to talk to us about the book that he wrote. And he's it's, it's very fascinating uh, to sit down and talk to him. It's, 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 it's almost like history class all over again for me because I like history class. And anybody that – I, I just want to give you another spoiler that most of the books that I'm probably going to be reading are history related because that is just like heaven to me. And like I said, I have the opportunity to read this book. Or have I had the opportunity to read this book, and I also had opportunity to talk to the author of this book, Professor Daniel V. Muir Jr. He's not really a professor, but I'm just after you read the pod, after you listen to this podcast, and I can't speak to, uh, I can't say this definitively, but after you listen to the podcast. After you've had a conversation with him, if you could get a conversation with him, and maybe even after you read this book, we'll find that out down the road. But um, yeah, it's it's he's he's worthy of the title professor. So let's go ahead right now and listen to the conversation. Let's go ahead and talk for me to Professor Dan, the author of The Dung Beetles of Liberia. And we're live, or we're live to tape, should I say? I have right. to make yeah. I have to make sure you 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 know that we're not live, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, yeah. I, I I had a project that I was saying that I had to do, so um, I had to finish that when I got this book. Um, a little backstory: I was uh, with my brother one day. I don't even remember what day it was, but we went into. Uh, I want to say Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, in downtown Norfolk. And yeah. uh, you were uh, sitting at the window of Hell's Kitchen off of Granby Street. And you were selling these books. And you, yes. came, you came over to the table and uh, you asked if we want to buy a book. And my brother yeah. bought one. And uh, I didn't have cash because I don't carry cash. So my sweet little brother went two blocks down the road to get some cash. 
I remember that, yeah. Yeah, so I can get a book just so I can make sure that you signed it for me. So I have an autographed copy of this book when it blows up. Yeah. Might be worth some money one day on eBay. Well, in maybe 300 years, it'll be worth a lot. Well, I guess my, I guess, I guess the grandkids will, will have a, a nice yeah. little gold mine here. <laughs> but it's called uh, the the Dung Beetles of Libya, Liberia. Yeah, yeah, Liberia. Yeah, Liberia. You see why? You see why I need to read? I, I mess up words. Well, uh, that's okay. I mess them up too. Uh, you just keep plugging along, and so you'll get it right, and then you'll find that gradually it becomes easier. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes, and then sometimes it becomes harder. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it just depends. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people get Liberia and Libya confused. Um, They're two different think, countries, right? Two different countries. Uh, Muammar Gaddafi was the dictator of Libya. Right. And uh, uh, incidentally, he did have a, a lot of pull and a lot of influence in West Africa, which is where Liberia is. Right. And um, But Liberia is, is a separate place altogether and a very unique one, mm. um, which is one of the reasons that interested me. Um for a number of reasons and the other reason was that I had a very good friend but well, he's still alive somehow but I have a very good friend must be something in the water uh, what? must be something in the water you said he's still alive somehow yeah he's still alive somehow and it's the the water plus the gin he mixes with it that, that I think helps him keep alive but he uh, <clears throat> he uh, worked as a, a, a what's called a bush pilot mm-hmm Actually, he was an air transport pilot, but the the uh, slang term is bush pilot. In what is that? Well, it's a it's a, like I say it's an air transport pilot, and uh, he flew uh, single engine airplanes for a company uh, there. There were several uh, of those companies in Liberia at the time because the economy was booming, and the only way people well, I'm, I'm sorry, but the best way people could get into the interior was by air okay uh roads had not been uh, very well developed and the few roads that were there were built usually by the mining companies or the rubber uh, rubber companies firestone rubber was one of the biggest uh, uh uh one of the biggest foreign companies there and they leased about a little over 200 acres of land uh, where they grew their rubber trees. Now, and, where is uh, this? In, in Liberia? Yeah, that's in Liberia. Okay. Firestone Rubber, uh, uh, they sort of got tired of depending on the Amazonian uh, latex market, which they didn't control. So they made a deal with the president or the government of Liberia in 1926 to lease a huge amount of uh, very good land there. We're and talking they, about Firestone uh, Tires, right? Firestone Tires, yeah. Oh, okay. Tires and, rubber. and they uh, leased a huge amount of land there and uh, and uh, started a rubber production. Employed a lot of people at not very high wages, by the way. But uh, they did uh, build some schools. And uh, the reason they built the schools is they needed people uh, uh, educated at, at least in knowing how to... Uh, knowing basic math and, and language skills and so on. And they also built uh, roads uh, to and from 
Monrovia and a couple of other places. And so, so did the mining companies. Mm. It was especially important for the mining companies because they were always trucking out ore and, uh, and stuff like that. So, but even at that, uh, the roads were not maintained uh, according to our standards. And uh, there weren't that many of them. There weren't enough of them to uh, get to any place you wanted to go in the interior of Liberia. So most people had some little, most little villages and missions had some little airstrip that they cut out of the jungle or the forest or wherever they were. And these airplanes could uh, use these airstrips. Now, the, uh, uh, the advantage was that the light, uh, the, the light single engine airplanes uh, did not need a huge amount of landing space. And uh, they could carry, a, I don't know, 1,000, uh, 1,200 pounds of load, which was enough to, you know, supply these uh, villages and so on with uh, a few goods. And they could transport some people and so forth and so on. And that's what my friend did for 10, I'm sorry, eight years. Okay. Now, the problem with, with flying in Liberia at the time was uh, it was more dangerous than flying the, the bush in Alaska. Uh, in Alaska, you, you had uh, some radar coverage. You had uh, some flight, what's called flight following. You had search and rescue available. Uh, you had communications available. Um, all kinds of things like that. Whereas in Liberia, oh yeah, and you had charts, uh, you know, good air charts. In Liberia, you had none of that. Mm. You had no, none of that. Plus, you had no weather reporting, no aviation weather reporting, uh, or, or anything anything like, like that that we're used to. No, no flight servicing, nothing. So you're basically flying blind. You're flying, you're flying on your own. Wow. And uh, uh, it's like I said in the book, uh, the, uh, the, the, the protagonist, uh, Ken, asked the pilot who was checking him out, he said, well, what about weather? Do you have your own? See, a lot of air transport companies today have their own weather service. All, all the major airlines have their own weather uh, services that they, that they operate. So he says, uh, well, what do you do for weather? And the, and the uh, checkout pilot said, well, look out of the window. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's, that's what it was like. Um, all of the navigation was done by dead reckoning and or pilotage. Uh, there was no electronic navigation. Well, there was there was a there was a maybe a couple of very uh, low powered non directional stations. The Russians put up one in Guinea, and there may have been another one somewhere around, but none of them served Liberia. So. Uh, you had your navigation was basic pilotage and dead reckoning, which is which in bad weather can be very dangerous stuff. Uh, I mean, they think that's kind of what happened to Kobe Bryant a few days ago. Uh, oh, wow. I have I don't know the details on that accident, but somebody, some news reporter said it was weather related. But then again, you can put what news reporters know about aviation in a thimble. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but uh, anyway, that's just one thing. And um, uh, there was no, uh, if you went down in the jungle, uh, you chances are you were not going to survive. Uh, no, no search or rescue, nothing. So um, uh, it was very dangerous stuff. And uh, 
you had to be young to do it. Uh, two reasons. When you're young, you don't really think about dangers like that. And uh, you're a little stronger to deal with them than you are when you're, you know, middle-aged. So um, anyway, my friend survived for eight years with uh, several close calls and, uh, and all that. But while he was there, he uh, got to know something of the country and the people and the government, the type of government they had. And the, the interesting social and stratification. And that's one of the things that interested me when I was doing the book. Uh, the country was run by uh, a group of people called the Congo people. And uh, what they were was uh, they were former freedmen and for, for freed slaves from, from the U.S. From the U.S. Oh. And an outfit called the American Colonization Society back in 1822, I think. You said 1822? That, yeah, 1822. Okay. Decided that it would uh, offer uh, a, a colony in Africa to uh, to freed, freed slaves who wanted to go there. Mm. And um, so they, they did. They made a deal with the British. The British, of course, conquered everything. And they got this little section uh, uh, just watering just, uh, uh, what is now Sierra Leone, and which became Liberia, and uh, started transporting these, these people there. Now, it sounds humanitarian. It, it, it sounds like uh, this is a good thing. But the truth is, it, it wasn't. Uh, uh, the, one of the reasons that the American Colonization Society started was that in uh, the last part of the, the uh, 17th century, I'm sorry, 18th century, somewhere around 1790-some, a very serious and violent slave revolt occurred in Haiti. And uh, it was led by a slave called Toutant Labasseur. And uh, he he led this revolt for almost 10 years, uh, in fact, a little over 10 years. Finally won around 1804, I think, or 1803. And every slave owner, every in fact, every white person on Haiti was killed uh, during this revolt, whether they agreed with the slaves or not. So it, it lets you know the, the, the violence with which this occurred. And the, the slave owners in the American South, and in fact in the American North, were terrified of a slave revolt. I mean, let's face it, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson himself, you know, the great, the great uh, uh, liberator, uh, the great spokesman for liberty, owned, I think, three, four hundred slaves, something like that. And, uh, and he did not, I mean, uh, uh, he didn't free them, not even on his death. So, 300 and some odd slaves against one man is pretty good odds. Yeah, so, that, uh, that kind of always uh, bothered me, if I can permission to, to, to elaborate my thoughts on this. Sure, yeah. Because I never understood how in most of your slave situations, it, it, it had to be a, a huge psychological warfare going on here because if, if you're in most of your slave environments you're dealing uh 
what a, a man, a master and his kid. Maybe he might have had three kids. Yeah. Give or take. But he's he has like two, three, four hundred slaves. Right. And you mean to tell me that two hundred to four, it, you couldn't win? It, it just it it, it, it kind of made me think about like what how how did they how did they manage to get that much power over a group of people? Well, uh, it, it's as you said, it was a lot. Part of it was psychological. Uh, the second thing is they didn't have a leadership like Tutan Levasur. Um, and the third thing is that they were probably, even though there was a large number of slaves per plantation, they were they were uh, kind of isolated. They had no communications back and forth and that type of thing. And I think there was another factor as well. They probably pondered it, but didn't, but, but knew, you know, wondered what they would do afterwards. Uh. The, the, you know, the, the, the slave owner did, uh, uh, you know, provide them with a minimum amount of food and clothing and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, their concern was, okay, so we kill the guy and take over, then what? Um, now John Brown, and we're, we're getting off the subject here. John Brown actually, you know, started, uh, wanted to start a slave revolt. And he was under the impression that once he attacked uh, the uh, uh, armory in Harpers Ferry and declared and declared all slaves free, that they would join him in a massive revolt. Well, that didn't happen. And uh, when John Brown was captured, finally, uh, uh, he was he was hung, and that was it. So, but nevertheless, the slave owners were still frightened of a slave revolt. So they, uh, and, and what they, they didn't want their slaves sent off. What they wanted was to get rid of these freedmen. Now, if you were a freed person uh, in, in America, you had a certificate, you know, legal document that said you were free and you could not be put back into slavery. And uh, how did you get those? Why would you what? I said, how would, how, I mean, how, how was there a certain uh, uh, yeah, criteria yeah, that made, how did you get a free document? How, you, how, had a do, you had a document that the, uh, if the slave, slave bought his uh, freedom, oh, okay. which some, some did, then the slave owner would, it's going to be like a contract. Okay. You know, okay uh, Jim paid so, so much for his freedom and he's got it. And uh, in the case of Washington, who did free his slaves upon his death, I guess he was worried about what was going to happen after his death. Uh, uh, they were all issued, you know, documents approved. So uh, that way they would not be, you know, uh, arrested and put back into slavery. Okay. Anyway, the last thing that uh, the last thing that uh, uh, these uh, slave owners wanted was to have freed free slaves going around stirring up trouble. Uh, talking nonsense about, you know, uh, what right do these guys have to enslave us and uh, this kind of thing. So they simply wanted them out of the country. And so they started this colonization society and they figured the farthest place they could send them would be Africa. And and since they were of African descent, they would uh, prosper there. They would be comfortable and, you know, uh, mingle in and get, you know, integrate with the rest of, of, of the people there. I have a question. If you may, yeah. you may um, 
in Norfolk over by uh, off the Elizabeth River there's yeah. a there's a plaque over there that said from this point I, I'm assuming that there was a ship that took all the freed slaves out of Norfolk yep is, is that in connection to that or yes that is I, uh, that, that is exactly okay in fact, in fact the ship was named the Elizabeth oh okay anyway uh, uh, it, it didn't happen according to plan uh, when these freedmen uh, arrived uh, in, in Liberia they uh, first of all they, they had lost all connection with their African heritage and African culture. They, you know, yes, they knew they were of African descent, but there was no memory of it. No, because slavery, by the time 1820 came along, slavery had been an institution in America for 200 years. Right. So these people had been here a long time and uh, they had no knowledge of, of their, of their uh, you know, their heritage or past. So they, they landed in this place and it was hot and miserable and alien to them. And most of them got sick from malaria. And the indigenous population there didn't want them there. Uh, they saw them as invaders, uh, as, as threats. And of course, the usual thing happens when, when that happens, a, a war started. And uh, that yeah, went on for many... Starts. This yeah, many, yeah, many, many years, uh, and of course, the American Colonization Society continued to ship freedmen over from America, and the colony grew. And not only did that happen, but individual states formed their own colonization society, and they sent uh, people uh, over. Uh, in fact, I think uh, uh, Talbot, President Talbot's uh, descendants came from South Carolina. And Tubman's, I think, came from Maryland. Tubman. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think his descendants did. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I think they did. Okay. Um, anyway, um, or maybe it was Georgia. Anyway, don't don't quote me on it, but, but uh, it was somewhere like that. Yeah, somewhere. We, we, we're we're yeah. in the ballpark. That's right, yeah. Um, uh, but the point is that... Uh, that these people had an extremely difficult time and uh, the indigenous population fought them tooth and nail for a long time and finally they lost in the process of losing uh, the Americo-Liberians which is what they were called uh, the, the freedmen were called Americo-Liberians managed to well uh, you know uh, take charge of what is now Liberia uh, and subject the indigenous people. Okay, you would think that that a group of people who came from a tradition of slavery and a tradition of oppression would uh, would not, uh, you know, would know better. Right. Would be a, would be a little more generous, a little more uh, uh, giving, but they weren't. They uh, proceeded to, and I think it was because of the wars and uh, and, the, and the inability to integrate with, with the indigenous people. They proceeded to subjugate the indigenous tribes uh, and in some cases uh, 
there's one particular case I'm trying to remember right now, but where they essentially started slave labor themselves for a while. And um, as a result, they never did intermingle uh, with the indigenous people. And, and they ruled Liberia for 133 years. Uh, they allowed, they did not allow the indigenous population to participate in the government. Uh, they did not allow them to hold high rank in the, in the military. Uh, they made sure they weren't educated unless it was on their terms. Uh, you know, it, it sounds like it's ironic, and it, I mean, it is ironic. Uh, they behaved the way a bunch of white Southerners behaved. So, so basically, you have, to, 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 to make sure I'm understanding this, you have freed slaves that left here and went back to their former land and started, started treating the people there basically the way they were treated here. In a sense, yes, they did. Wow. Uh, but it, I, I'm not sure, you see, had there not been a war between the indigenous people, and, and it's understandable that the indigenous people wanted them there. Nobody asked them if it was okay to have a bunch of American Liberians settle in their place and take things over. Right. And so they resented it, of course, just, just like American Indians did. And, uh, and so that war, uh, I think, in my own opinion, that the war they had separated them to the point where it was almost impossible for them to get together as they should have. Now, I may be wrong in that, but uh, but uh, anyway, that's that's that was my position. I mean, but the America, but the American Liberians see one of the things they had uh, that was a great advantage for them. They had skills uh, and and they had knowledge. Well, these people being freedmen. They weren't field hands. They they were uh, they were they they, they were they were tradesmen. They 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 were carpenters, uh, uh, leather workers. Uh, they knew how to you know make things, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, so and that's what they did. They 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 created a little industry of their own, and they also uh, established trade connections with the U.S. And um, so you know they prospered. Uh, and then later on in the early 20th century, uh, a lot of natural uh, rich resources were discovered there, like iron ore, uh, some gold, uh, some diamonds, uh, what else? Uh, uh, timber, especially, and later on rubber. Um, and they, you know, they developed these resources and, and became extremely wealthy. Now, the problem with that is, uh, and the it, you know, some people in the Republican Party today still advocate what's called the trickle-down uh, theory of economics. The uh, American Liberians felt like, well, we're getting rich. Some of this will trickle down to the indigenous people. Well, maybe, uh, but not enough trickle down to make a difference. And, uh, and so resentment started to build up. And because uh, the American Liberians were sending their children to schools in the U.S., schools in Europe, and they were they were very wealthy. They owned estates everywhere. And uh, in fact, uh, uh, Helena Cooper uh, has just written a book uh, a couple years ago. She published it called uh, "The House at Sugar Peach," 
And she is an America librarian, and she works for the New York Times, by the way. An excellent book about her life there before the uh, before the uh, revolution. And she lived a privileged life, uh, and she says so. And her family even adopted a country child, that's what the poor people were called, to, to serve as her playmate. Mm. And then when uh, they, they escaped during the revolution in 1980, when they fled the country, they left the child there. Uh, now, this is the kind of thing you know, that the rich do. And these people were rich. Uh, they, they became rich. The problem is they didn't want to share the wealth and they didn't want the indigenous people to participate in the government. And uh, even though Tubman and President Talbot tried to introduce the indigenous people into the government, the, the true Whig party, which was the only political party in the Library and Congress, rejected it. So are these are these uh, are these blacks? Are there whites involved in this? Or? Well, uh, these are <clears throat> many of these people, and I don't know how many were a mixed race. The American okay. Liberians, uh, they they weren't whites, uh, and they and a lot of them were not pure uh, pure African blacks either. Uh, a lot of them were mixed race. Okay, and uh, so you know they kind of didn't fit in there either for that reason and um, I guess for that reason uh, they weren't considered pure you know Africans so they weren't purebreds pure that's right okay yeah, that that's right and so it was a up until up until 1979 uh, Liberia was doing what I mean the the upper class the the uh, the America Liberians were doing very well uh, they were they were on that their high horse, and um, uh, then something happened. The the uh, minister of uh, uh, I think it was foreign the foreign minister uh, Florence Chenoweth uh, raised the uh, the price of rice, and rice is a staple staple food in Liberia. And they don't grow enough rice to feed themselves, so, so they have to import it, some of it. Mm. And so she raised the price of the rice, and that caused a riot. Uh, the theory was that if you raise the price of, of, of rice, then it will force the native Liberians to grow more rice. Well, that didn't happen. And once the rice riot started, then, of course, it, it introduced instability. And uh, President Tubman made the I'm sorry, but Talbot made the mistake of, of bringing in troops from, from Guinea. And that, that re, the locals resented that enormously. That means they like having a bunch of mercenaries enforce, uh, you know, the state will. So, um, and by April of 1980, uh, the rice riot occurred. Let's see, I think it was like late April 1979. By April 1980, Sergeant Doe uh, led a small group of uh, enlisted soldiers into the executive mansion and took over the government. And then 
uh, another interesting historical parallel occurred. Uh, uh, the, the local people, the country people living in Monrovia, and uh, the Backstreet Boys and all that, the poor people essentially, mm-hmm. uh, generally rioted. And they went after the Congo people, who were the America Liberians. Okay. And they, they killed as many of them as they could find. It was like the French Revolution. The same thing happened in the French Revolution. And Helena Cooper and her family were extremely lucky to get out alive. And, uh, and, and others made it out alive, and they came to the U.S. Now, isn't that ironic that the descendants of the very people who left and, and went to Liberia and now have now returned. Hmm. Uh, and uh, and the government now in Liberia is, is run by, you know, uh, well, by the people. The American Liberians, if there are any still there, have no, have very little influence. Hmm. Now, the past president, uh, her name was Helen Sharif Johnson. Uh, she narrowly escaped her life. She was in the uh, Taliban government, but she's not a full American Liberian. Her father was a, a, a German, Ooh. and so so she was forgiven. Yeah, because she has light skin and a, a, an English name, but but uh, she was forgiven because she doesn't have any American Liberian uh, blood in her. So anyway, she she. She's, uh, she was the last president before uh, Mr. Wee, and she was a darn good one. Um, it's too bad she isn't in office now. So they they, they basically have uh, elections like we do? Uh, you, every they have, yeah, they have elections, uh, exactly. In fact, the, the American Liberians created a government almost exactly like ours. They have, they have a written constitution. Uh, they have a bicameral, supposedly a bicameral legislation. They have a Supreme Court, and uh, and they have an executive department like we do. Okay. Uh, they have all the uh, all the structure of uh, of U.S. U.S. style government. So when was this created? Like early nineteenth century? Oh yeah, yeah. It was created once uh, the American Liberians got control of the land. So this uh, was this was nineteen hundreds. Yeah, this was in the late nineteen hundreds. In fact, okay. the first president was. Uh, I think his name was Roberts, and it was uh, like uh, 1890 uh, something. I'm not quite sure. Oh, okay. That. All right, late 1800s. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, because well, let's face it, the U.S. was the only model they knew. Uh, they had no no knowledge of anything else because uh, the U.S. was where they were born and raised and, and grew up. So the fascinating thing about it is, you have a group of blacks who left here. And went back to Liberia and basically yes. created a country. Created a country, exactly. Wow. Very similar to the one they left. Mm. That is very, and, that's very and fascinating. Irony, and the irony is that their descendants have returned. Hmm. Huh. Uh, you know, so anyway, that was in the back of my mind when I was writing the book. And uh, I used the experiences of my friend to, uh, to kind of illustrate what life is like there now or what life was like in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so was so how was it compared to American politics in the 60s where in, 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 in our country, I mean, you, you know what we were dealing with, with 
yeah. blacks and whites in the 60s were, were they more peaceful or more thriving in that time or yeah they they didn't have they didn't have the racial problems that we we had in the 60s um uh, uh their problems were were more social and economic stratification uh you know it's, uh, think of the the french in the 18th century okay. there were very very few relatively speaking wealthy french and uh they were the french nobility the aristocracy they were the one percent and they were the ones who ran everything whereas the 99 percent of people in france were poor as dirt and had no no hope of getting out of it and that was like state of like kind of like the state of liberia in the 60s you had a small percentage of people the american liberians very wealthy in charge of everything running everything and then the rest of the rest of the people picking up the scraps or whatever trickle down from the rich man's table so yeah that's a, that was the condition they were in uh, they but but they weren't they didn't have our problems they there was no civil rights issue uh going on well i suppose you could say there was but it wasn't similar to ours um you know and uh so they didn't have at least that to worry about Theirs was mainly a social and economic stratification. Huh. So it's, I'm, I'm reading the, uh, the, the back of uh, your book here, because, you know, that's what you do when you pick up a book. You, you turn straight to the back of it. Sure, yeah. Um, it says, uh, nothing could have prepared Ken, is that Verrere? Yeah. For the experience of Liberia in the 60s, flying into the... Uh, interior Bush as a transport pilot, he witnessed firsthand the the uh, uh, the lives of the country people and the Congo people. Uh, also, both monetary wealth and natural resources. It's a novel that will stay with you long after your last word has been read. So, yeah. basically, you just explained everything that that's in this book. Well, uh, actually, uh, uh, a reviewer of mine uh, did that. I, I, I didn't. I, I'm not smart enough to to explain it that well. I mean, I, I just I just spent 35 minutes listening to you. Like I, I could, I'm I'm fascinated by what you've already told me. Uh-huh. Um, well, good. And then you'll have to read the book, Eric. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I was just <laughs> saying to myself that I have to go and read now, and and. I, was, I told myself I was going to send you via email a book report. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, every not everybody, but most people tell me it's a quick read. Uh, I don't know whether to be flattered by that or, or to insult it, but uh, uh, if it is a quick read, then you should be able to do it. You know? I, I, think, uh, I think the people who tell you that are the ones who can read, like, a book a night. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not one of those. No, I'm definitely not one of those. So, yeah. can I get a little bit about your background? I mean, like, are you in any way connected to this? Because you know a lot about this stuff. Like, are you government or... or? Well, uh, yeah, I was... Uh, uh, professionally, I was a pilot. And uh, and my friend uh, was in the, a pilot. In the, in the military or... No, no, I was a civilian pilot. Okay. And uh, I, you know, I, I flew for a, a small air transport company, and uh, and uh, I was a flight instructor and that type of thing. Uh, 
Okay. And I eventually got a job with the FAA as an aviation safety inspector. Okay. Uh, and my friend, uh, Les, uh, did pretty much the same thing. He was the one who flew in Liberia. Hmm. And uh, he was also, he's also a certified aviation mechanic, and uh, which is no small feat, really. Uh, it takes a lot of work to do that. And he also was an aviation safety inspector uh, for, for airworthiness. Uh, and plus, I, I have a, a, a degree in, uh, uh, I have a degree in, in uh, U.S. history, and also uh, a graduate uh, studies in uh, American literature. I went back to school to get to get another major in, in English and literature. Oh, and um, smart man! And, and what else have I done? Oh yeah, I've run from the law. No, I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's generally what I do for a living. Yeah. No, I'm just playing. I, I, I've never been in. Yeah, with the and law I, I've written. I've written. Uh, I published a novel before this back in 1980, as a matter of fact, and I've written several more that 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 are unpublished. Well, what, but, um, what got you into writing books? Like, what is your... your just- well, um, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to say. Um, it's sort of the only... It's, it's sort of, first of all, something I enjoy doing. Okay. And uh, it it's like drinking. It kind of helps keep the boogeyman away. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if I can write, I can make sense of things. Yeah. Uh, uh, basically how you medicate your pain I suppose that's it yeah yeah, yeah. you're right uh, and at the, you know, at the same time when I finish I I feel like I've, I've, I've told a story that 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 if I like the story I've told that it should should needs to be told and um, uh, even even when it's fiction see fiction really isn't fiction you uh, people who write fiction aren't writing lies what they're writing what they're doing is they're creating events around a greater truth right for example the greater truth and 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 this story the, the dung beetles is the, the the social and economic uh deprivations in liberia and the blindness of the american liberians see that's what what continued to get me was they couldn't see they didn't learn from history yeah, they couldn't see what happens when an entrenched, powerful oligarchy that they had uh, rules a mass amount of people who have nothing. And they, if they had learned from the French Revolution, then they would have they would have listened to Tubman and Talbot, and and allowed uh, uh, you know allowed the indigenous people in the government distribute the wealth a little better, made them a part of the country, but they didn't do it. And uh, and they paid paid the historical price. So, yeah, that's and, and that's what writing allows you to do. Uh, you know, make sense of things. So why would you call this book The Dung Beetles? Okay, good question. And trust me, Eric, I, I didn't like the title. I still don't like it. <laughs> uh, I... Uh, I think I, I remember I, when you when I when you gave me this book and I go, it's a beetle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, well, I, I I recognize a beetle, but then it's like a dung beetle. It's like I, right. I, I'm lost. Dung beetle is a pretty slimy, pretty slimy creature, you know. But uh, um, uh, 
I used it first of all as a working title, like you know, when you have one on your computer, uh-huh. something, something you refer to. But I had really no intention of using it as a finished title. I tried to think of something literary and lofty, you know, like Fitzgerald's "Tender as the Night" or "This Side of Paradise." But no, it's not that kind of story. It's about people acting like dung beetles. It's about, you know, every time somebody takes a dump, in other words, uh, they, they find a gold mine, everybody rushes in. A good example is uh, people who win the lottery. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this time and time again. They win the lottery. Suddenly they get 20 million bucks. And everybody on earth, the people they didn't know, call them up and try to try to get a piece of it. <laughs> and uh, that's that's what dung beetles do when when somebody takes a dump. Uh, uh, they go after the shit. And uh, and uh, so yeah, I, I know I shouldn't have referred to wealth and, and power as shit, but it I mean, can you know, be. a lot of people are doing this day. It's kind of a popular thing to do. I mean, yeah, well, look, look at what we've got now. I mean, yeah, uh, he's a dung beetle. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I think he's referring to forty-six minus one is what they call him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, I, I, and so I, I, you know, I discussed it with the publisher. She didn't like the title either, and I said, "Well, thematically, it seems to be the most appropriate. I, I just can't come up with anything that sounds lofty and literary." And she said, "Okay, we'll go with it." So we decided on a provocative uh, book cover, uh, which I hope gets people's attention. Yeah, and, uh, I, I'm looking at it right now. It'll, it'll definitely uh, uh, is a beetle with uh, a ruby and a gun. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a diamond and a, and a gun. Oh, diamond, diamond. Well, diamond, ruby, and, uh, and, uh, and of course the red cover gets your attention right away. Oh yeah, that means some blood red, shed red, somewhere. Red always symbolizes or signals danger. Right. You know, a black widow spider's got a red dot on it. On it, and. Uh, you know, red light, red stoplight, all that kind of stuff. That always symbolizes danger. Oh, and the selector on a firearm, when it's ready to fire, is a red dot. Mm. So that we decided to uh, stick with that too, as well. Ah, oh, so uh, as as I as I look through, I um, I mean, it actually uh, you actually explain in uh, the first page. Well, you you. What the hell of a Wikipedia? You know, Wikipedia is a lovely place. Yeah. It says, as I, as I raise the light here, because, you know, I'm trying to see in the dark. Dung beetles are beetles that feed partly off of the exclusive or exclusively on feces, which you just basically said. Uh, a dung beetle can, can bury dung 250 times heavier than itself in one night. Yeah. Uh, many yeah. dung beetles known as rollers... Roll dung into roll balls, which uh-huh. are used as food sources or breeding chambers. Right. Ah. Hey, <laughs> aren't you glad you're on a dung beetle? <laughs> <laughs> now, now, yeah, they, when they, it says a uh, a, uh, I, I mean, I guess I could go to Wikipedia. Or I could just ask you. When it says they they uh, they uh, many dung beetles known as rollers, a a dung. Or roll ball? What they're they're basically rolling the feces? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, yeah, they uh, uh, if they don't find it already in a nice ball, they uh, they'll roll up as much as they can, and uh, and they do it very skillfully with their hind legs. 
and then they use it for just what what the definition said uh various things and some of them even just live in it talk about living uh, in shit <laughs> oh yeah they live in it and the interesting thing is that there are dung beetles found all over the world except antarctica so um they're they're everywhere there's there's definitely an ecological need for them and uh but uh and they're a pretty repulsive animal but uh but then again uh so are criminals and thieves and monsters and people like that they're you know pretty repulsive too so this this book was written you just i mean i've just i just got it last year so you had to have written it what maybe 19 18 19 somewhere in there oh i i wrote it before then uh it took me two and a half years to find a publisher for it uh that's the hardest part about writing is finding a publisher Mm. Uh, and uh, and it took me another uh, two and a half to three years to write the book now I didn't sit down every day and pound away at the computer uh, you know we took vacations and uh, and time off and stuff like that but it took about that long to do it I had a pile of notes and about 30 to 35 hours of uh, taped conversations with my friend that I went through and uh you know, it was it was not easy, and I, I still wonder why I did it. Mm. But um, but you know, it's a, it's like I said, it's, a, it's kind of a compulsion. I'm, uh, I'm I'm fascinated if if I could just jump right in here of as to, uh, I mean, your story is is very relevant because I'm listening to it like, whoa, well, uh, mm-hmm. holy crap! But what what was your thought process, or should I say, what did you think? Or what were you trying to say by, by writing this book? Because even though it's a great story about another a, a group of people that most of us uh, would not have paid attention to or don't even know anything about, it's the question of you're writing this. Uh, you said it took two years to find a publisher. So that's six. Uh, the, I got it in 19. So that's 17. Another two years yeah. to write it. So that's 15. So yeah. in 2015, what, what what is your thought process? Or who are you thinking this book is going to affect or why would you like to affect those people or what well, would you want uh, to know for years I, I for years I, I knew Les and I worked with him and we'd have lunch together and he'd tell me these fascinating stories about his time in, in Liberia and I, one day I said Les uh, you know before you go to that great airport in the sky uh, you might want to write all this stuff down because if you don't it'll be lost these experiences will be lost well, he, I knew he wasn't going to do it, so I, I I got his permission to do it myself. And um, at first, it was uh, just that I wanted to record his experiences. But then, um, uh, his experiences, you know, I said, well, they have to mean something. And uh, and I used his experiences in, in the, uh, uh, against the background of of. Uh, the political and social life in Liberia at the time. And what I was trying to say is, quite a few simple words, is that groups of people who are in charge of things should be should be considerate of others. That that if if they aren't careful, uh, you know, uh, all hell is going to break loose. 
and it'll be their fault. Now, I, that sounds highly simplistic, but, uh, and, I, and I could make it more complex if I had a little more time. But uh, I wanted to say that once again, once again, in spite of history, uh, people have succumbed to greed and, and, and selfishness and avarice and, and self-indulgence and self-justification, and it only brings death and destruction. And I think that's true for the, on an individual basis as well as a, as, as, well as a, a national and global basis. Uh, so the lesson we, I think we need to apply to ourselves. Now, so I don't know. Is that too grandiose, uh, Eric? No, that, that, that's, that's a perfect, I have one more, one more thought that just popped into my, I'm, well, I'm going to say one more, like you're not going to say anything else. Another thought that popped into my brain. But, <laughs> but my question is, you wrote this book in 2015. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that, yeah, that's right about the time that uh, 46 minus one was starting to run his mouth. And so, was that on your mind when you were... No, no uh, that wasn't on my mind at all. No. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was thinking about Liberia uh, and, and the tragedy that happened there. And I remember the revolution of 1980. Uh, I remember it from the news. And I also remember uh, the, 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 the double horror that came after that, the Liberian... Uh, Civil Wars, uh, led by that monster Charles Taylor, mm. and uh, yeah, with those child soldiers, where where everything in Liberia was destroyed, and uh, thousands and thousands of people were murdered, and uh, it was it was society in total total breakdown and collapse. Mm. That was kind of what was on my mind. It's fascinating because a lot of from just listening to you give a a, a background and, and and basically it's like sitting in history class, um, which which by the way I that was my favorite subject in school was history. So you know, um, if if you want to write any more history books, I would love to to read those. But, Particularly, particularly so that every history book you write, I can sit down and have you, you know, give another dissertation about it. That'll be fascinating. But the thing that's kind of, uh, I guess, turning my knobs a little bit in my brain, the wheels, if you will, is how much this story and in your uh, your breaking down of it shows what we're dealing with at this particular point in time in our in our existence as, as a country here absolutely yeah absolutely right uh, we are now in a situation where the disparity between the between the wealthy and those of us who are not wealthy is greater than it ever has been uh, the, the the rich truly are getting richer and more isolated insulated I should say and uh, and it's getting getting worse. And uh, I don't know where this is going, but I don't think it's going to end well unless unless something something happens that to reverse it. Uh, yes, I think it has a lot a lot of uh, significance to what's going on today. Hmm. Well, Mr. Daniel, Mr. Dan, I I, I, I guess I should call you Professor Dan. No, no, just hey, Dan, you know. 
I've been called all kinds of things, and well, I usually answer to most of them. Well, well, I, I, I hope all positive. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you uh, doing this. Like I said, I was I, I was thinking about uh, the fact that I needed to start reading more, and uh, and I said this off air. You asked me a question about why I I don't read, and partially is because most of the books that I read, either in school or uh, especially in yeah, especially in school. They would have these crazy uh, subtexts and, and plots, and they would use these big words. I mean, can you imagine turning 20 pages and maybe one in every 15 words is something like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and you're like, I can't pronounce this word. And, and it yes, just. Yes, that was how I felt when I first had to read Henry James. So, uh, yeah, I, I understand completely what that feels like. Yeah, and so I just kind of not wanted to do it and but it's it's something that a lot of good knowledge and things that i need to know is in books and i said you know what i'm going to as, as they used to as my grandmother and all the old uh black ladies and some men would say if you want to hide something from a black person you put in the book so i'm like well, let me, <laughs> God. Let me, that's an awful that's an awful thing to say <laughs> i mean you know that that's kind of how they uh they you know they, uh, they, they felt back in the day yeah <laughs> uh, well, uh, the thing is that, you know, uh, despite where we go technologically, reading and books will never go out of fashion. I mean, uh, we're still going to stage plays, and they've been going on since the ancient Greeks. Uh, you know, when, when movies came out, uh, it was said, well, that's the end of the theater. Well, it wasn't. When television came out, well, it's the end of the movies. Well, it wasn't. Uh, books will never be replaced. The written word will never be replaced by electronic uh, gadgets and computers. They'll only enhance it. Right. So, so yeah, reading is reading is really our only our best tool of, of understanding and communication. Mm. Uh, it really is. It, you know, if you if you want to make, I think if you want to make uh, accurate decisions then you, you have to be informed. And the only way to be informed is to read. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. So I'm going to yep. read this book. It, it's it's kind of, I did not plan this this way. I really didn't. Because I I heard you in uh, in uh, the, the Hell's Kitchen. Uh, but I also heard my stomach. And I heard that, that, that nice burger that I was having. So, you know, I had conflicting views going on yes. that day mm -hmm. but I did not register uh, I, I heard the story about the, the dung beetles and, and I, I didn't really remember what it was I, I just know the title and everything and it's like, yeah. but mm -hmm. it was kind of fascinating from listening to you and, and kind of comparing that this is really an African American story or an African American yes. turned Liberian American story so it's, it's basically black people's story I think so. And it's yeah. kind of fascinating as we head into uh, Black History Month to make this the book. I was like, wow, that's that's kind of like well, perfect. I think that's a, I think that's a point. And uh, and uh, you know the thing is that the Af the uh, America Liberians ultimately failed, but they weren't always a failure. Uh, President Tubman was a, a he was a he was an intelligent man. 
and a, a very able politician. Uh, I wish we had him as president now instead of what we've got. But uh, he, the, the people who supported him, the, uh, the True Whig Party and the American Liberians, would not go along with the, with the reforms that he wanted to make. And, and to some degree, Tubman too, although Tubman wasn't his equal uh, as far as politics goes, he was still, he still recognized that the, that the tribes, the indigenous people needed to be brought in. But he was, you know, he was stopped from doing that. And he paid the price. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think it is a, a, an African-American story. I, I, I do, to, to, that, to that extent. Hmm. Um, and you know, so yeah, I, um, I'm looking at it on Amazon and, uh, because that's probably if people don't have this book where they can go and get it. Uh And, um, I'm, it says that you can get it by tomorrow, which when this goes out, uh, will be, well, I guess you can still say tomorrow. Uh And, um, or you can get it by February third. So this is like a great book to uh, to read for for Black History Month. Both. I'm glad you think that, Eric. I, I hadn't really considered it that way, but uh, now that you mention it, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think for something like for me as a uh, as a African American male, mm-hmm. it's not too much American Black history that I haven't heard before. <laughs> yeah. But this is a whole new perspective of. Of black culture, especially yeah, black culture that's connected to American black culture, so yeah, it, it kind of gives a whole new or, or a different outlook on black history. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, I think we, I think I should really invest in this book for Black History Month. Yeah, I, I, that's uh, yeah, that it interests me too, uh, like that. You're, you're right. Well, well, uh, thank you for uh, for your interest. Thank you for 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 joining me today. Uh, is there is there? Uh, I, I like to end my conversation with asking, "Is there anything that I can do for you, kind sir?" I uh, know, Eric. Uh, you uh, you've been very gracious, and uh, and I like I say, I I appreciate your interest, and I do have other books in the pipeline. Uh, um, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure that the publisher will accept them, but I'm going to try anyway. Um, that's the problem with not being well known and not having a wide readership, uh, you know. But uh, still, uh, we'll see. Um, you know, I'm I'm actually uh, writing a sequel. In fact, I finished the first draft of it to the Dung Beetles, and um, it's it, it's about the uh, Liberian Civil War. Okay. And uh, and uh, I'm thinking about doing a third one. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, this one is about the Liberian Revolution led by Sergeant Doe. Okay. I'm thinking about doing a third one on the Civil War uh, that takes place during the Civil War. But it, it's, it was such a bloody, awful affair. I, I, I don't know if I could uh, uh, make sense out of it. But we'll see. We'll see. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to do my best to see if I can't uh, get some some people to, to pay attention to this book and, and <laughs> read it and and I'm looking forward to my finishing it, and uh, you know, uh, well, I am too. Doing my book a, report. If you have a different slant on it than what we've talked about, let me know. I, 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 I've already promised you. I'm making this proclamation to you at this point in time. 
that Professor Dan, you will get a book report by <laughs> by February 29. Okay. And uh, I, I look forward to really reading and, and kind of taking notes and and getting my dictionary out. I, I'm hoping that you know I don't get stuck in words, but uh, you know. Yeah, you won't. By the way, how's your brother? Has he read the book? Uh, well, you know, I think he just bought it just because I pressured him, but uh, we'll see what he says. Okay. All right. Yeah. See what he says. Yeah. You can call him out on it. I, I, I you know what? I was, I was turning through the book and I just want to read this because it, uh, it, it just, <laughs> it made me laugh right as I was turning through the book and it says a sense of heaviness had descended over us and the lighting, the lighten, enlightened the mood. I told deep about my attack of diarrhea <laughs> and <laughs> and landing at the mission and trying to avoid the nuns. Uh, th- this looks like it's already going to be... I'm already laughing. <laughs> yeah, no, like, there is humor in it. Uh, there is humor. All right, sir. I'm not going to hold you up all day. I know you have better things to do and, and more books to write and probably more students to, to educate about the wonders of the world. <laughs> I don't think so, Eric. <laughs> well, I look forward to our, our chatting again sometime. And again, I thank you for uh, for, for taking this call for me. Oh, yeah, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure, Eric. And uh, good luck, and we'll, we'll talk again sometime. All right, sir. Hey, bye. Bye. Uh.